Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I'm Jill, and this is the Sober Powered Podcast. I'll tell you how I finally stopped chasing the buzz and what I've learned along the way. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and if you're new here, I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. If that sounds interesting, please subscribe. Today, I'm going to talk about neuroplasticity. I'll explain what neuroplasticity is, how this affects addiction and recovery, what the purpose of dopamine is, 
and parts of the brain that are key for coping with stress and staying sober. You'll learn more about how neuroplasticity affects our ability to stay sober and to learn new methods of dealing with stress. So let's dig in. We previously believed that our brain develops until we're 25 and then that's it. We believed that alcohol kills brain cells and then they're gone. But advances in research have revealed that the brain is pretty dynamic and is able to heal if it wasn't pushed too far. Make sure to listen to episode 26, Does the Brain Recover?, for the latest info on how the brain heals from alcohol abuse. You've probably seen the scary pictures circulating online of a social drinker's brain next to the brain of an alcoholic and the alcoholic's brain is all shriveled up. Your brain is able to heal, so don't let those Instagram posts freak you out. Neuroplasticity is a hot topic right now. It's our brain's ability to adapt to our current circumstances. When we're drinking all the time, pathways are carved out in the brain that link situations, thoughts, and behaviors together. When you're triggered, drinking becomes an immediate thought and action. That's because there's a path in your brain connecting them. When we try to stop drinking, this pathway is still easily accessible, but instead of walking down the perfectly paved sidewalk, we have to choose to trek through the woods and create a new path. Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to create new pathways and abandon unused ones. It's like getting used to not drinking. Our experiences, thoughts, emotions, and behaviors influence the way our brain works and strengthens or weakens pathways based on what we do. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that makes us feel good and is associated with addiction. We have dopamine for a reason, though, and it was an important chemical for human evolution. When we do something that's good for our survival, like eating, having sex, or drinking water, dopamine is released into the nucleus accumbens. And the nucleus accumbens is one part of our reward center. Dopamine in this area of the brain creates a memory that this activity was good for us because it feels good, so we should continue to do it. We remember that eating when we're hungry feels good, so that influences our behavior in the future. The problem is alcohol and other drugs release a huge amount of dopamine into the nucleus accumbens, causing the brain to form memories that alcohol or drugs are good for us. We form powerful associations between experiences and feelings and drinking. For example, if you're celebrating something, you should drink because it makes it even more fun and special. If you had a bad day, you should drink because alcohol makes you forget your problems. The problem is drugs and alcohol release a much bigger burst of dopamine compared to natural rewards. Since there's a ton of dopamine much more than anything else you've experienced, the brain believes that drinking must be very important for you. And this causes the brain to file it away as something that's a high priority to obtain. Addiction changes the brain to create and store memories about our drug of choice. Addiction shows up as a reflex activation of these memories, resulting in motivation to drink or use when we encounter cues and triggers. When you're triggered and your immediate thought is to go get drunk, that's these memories being activated. 
But remember, because of neuroplasticity, the brain is dynamic and always adapting. As we abuse alcohol and the brain gets used to having alcohol around, it adapts. This adaptation comes in the form of tolerance, making alcohol feel less rewarding or calming, requiring us to have even more of it to get the same effects that we're chasing. Because our brain has adapted to alcohol, when we try to stop drinking, our brain chemistry is messed up. Alcohol slows down brain activity. So in an effort to maintain balance, the brain produces less neurotransmitters to slow down the brain and more neurotransmitters to speed up brain activity. When alcohol is removed, the brain is too overactive and this shows up as withdrawal or delirium tremens in extreme cases. The good news though, because of neuroplasticity, our brain is able to adapt back and stop relying on alcohol to function correctly. It's able to naturally balance out its chemistry as we forge new pathways. Another way our brain adapts to addiction results in compulsive drug or alcohol-seeking behavior or feeling compelled to drink. It's thought that these changes to the brain are very stable and probably permanent, which is why even if we've been sober for 30 years, if we drink, we'll get right back to blowing up our lives. This plasticity has been tested in humans who have struggled with drug addiction but were sober for at least a month. When given a quick 33 millisecond cue, so quick that we wouldn't even be conscious of it, the reward pathways of the brain show rapid activation via increased blood flow. A millisecond is 0.001 seconds, by the way. So you wouldn't notice something that flashed in front of you for 33 milliseconds. The participant will report drug craving, and the strength of the craving is directly related to the amount of dopamine that has been released in the reward center. This is measured by providing the participants with labeled raclopride, which is a dopamine receptor antagonist. It binds to dopamine receptors and blocks them, but can be easily displaced by dopamine which is the thing that's supposed to be binding to dopamine receptors. When faced with a cue, dopamine is released in anticipation of the reward of using again. This displaces the labeled raclopride, and the amount of displacement can be measured using a PET scan. Our prefrontal cortex is responsible for impulse control, emotional regulation, using good judgment, thinking things through, and action selection. You can think of it as the mature part of the brain. I'm going to focus a lot on the ventromedial prefrontal cortex in this episode, which is a portion of the prefrontal cortex that regulates and inhibits our response to emotions. It uses our past emotional reactions to choose decisions and control our emotional reactions in new situations. Evolutionarily speaking, when we're faced with a stressful situation, thinking it through and considering our actions is not the best choice. If a dinosaur is running towards you, immediate action is the best chance of survival that you'll have. 
Several studies on humans have found decreased prefrontal cortex activity during stress and increased activation in the limbic striatal network, which is associated with emotional and behavioral reactivity. The striatum is a part of the brain that influences our action planning, decision making, motivation, reinforcement, and reward perception. Human brain imaging studies suggest that the ventromedial prefrontal cortex is a key area of the brain that's involved in increased persistence in the face of setbacks and in regulating anxious emotions. If you remember back in episode 30, we discussed distress tolerance, which is a person's ability to manage actual or perceived emotional distress and get through it without making it worse. People who have a low distress tolerance often become overwhelmed by stressful situations and turn to unhealthy or destructive coping mechanisms like self-harm, binge eating, or substance use. So increased persistence in the face of setbacks means the person has a high distress tolerance. One 2010 study found that disruption of the ventromedial prefrontal cortex during stress predicts relapse and failed recovery. Childhood trauma, adversity, a history of mood disorders, and PTSD are all associated with weakened ventromedial prefrontal cortex activation during emotion or stress exposure. So remember that trauma and things that you're experiencing today all have an impact on how our genes are regulated. So that's called epigenetics. So trauma can change the way that your brain is working. Several studies have found that disrupted connectivity between the ventromedial prefrontal cortex and the amygdala is associated with poor adaptive coping. The amygdala plays a major role in our emotional response, especially with fear and anger, and adaptive coping is using problem-solving and information-seeking skills to manage stress. Studies have found that the ventromedial prefrontal cortex is important for emotional and behavioral control during stress, behavioral flexibility, regulating negative emotions and anxiety, persistence, and in using these signals to guide decision-making. A 2016 study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences looked at how brain activity influences coping skills. The participants in this study did not meet the criteria for any mental health conditions, including substance use disorder. This study found that people who use active coping skills had more ventromedial prefrontal cortex plasticity and less plasticity was associated with negative coping strategies like emotional eating, binge drinking, and more arguments or fights. They also found a significant association between ventromedial prefrontal cortex plasticity during stress and average stressfulness and arousal ratings. This doesn't mean sexual arousal. It means like the mind becoming activated in response to stress. This could represent the participants having awareness that they were feeling stress and starting to analyze it. 
Awareness and self-assessment of stress and emotions are key components of emotional regulation. People who are more reactive and go on autopilot to respond to stress generally do not use active coping strategies. So if you're drinking in response to stressful situations, you're not taking time to have awareness of what you're actually feeling or what caused that feeling. And you're not doing any analysis there. You're just reacting and going on autopilot. And if you remember back in episode 20, when I talked about moderation, problem drinkers do have less neuroplasticity as alcohol damages the brain. Our brains are all capable of learning and changing based on our behaviors. So you're not stuck this way forever. Breaking the reflex to drink as a response to stress and negative emotions isn't going to be automatic, but the more you choose the hard path, the easier it will become to continue to do it. So for me, every weekend I drink basically the whole weekend because that's just what you do, right? And my first sober weekend that I ever had, I was nervous, like, what am I going to do? I'm going to be so bored But I chose the hard path. I got through the whole weekend sober and coming out the other side of that weekend, I realized that I did actually have a good time. And then that made choosing to do a future weekend sober a little bit easier. And each time I had a sober weekend, it got a little bit easier. I think what you can focus on right now is developing your self-awareness. We can't start to regulate and manage our emotions if we can't recognize what they are and why we're feeling that way. The way that I learn to be more aware is by paying attention to how I think about and react to certain things and by retracing my steps through my day to pinpoint the thing, person, or event that caused the negative emotion. So start there, retrace your steps if you're feeling angry or anxious or triggered and analyze your day. When did you start feeling that way and what was going on in that moment? And the more self-awareness that you can have, the easier it will be to manage stress and negative emotions in a healthy way. So basically all of my content and information is free because I just really want to help people get sober and stay sober. So the way that you can appreciate this content if it has really helped you is by sharing it either like on social media or just word of mouth by telling others. And that helps me a lot because then more people can listen and get the help that they need. So thank you guys, and I will talk to you next week.
I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.